But like Pastor also said, six years ago I came here to Cross Point Church um, with a man named Alex Rodriguez. And when he was up here preaching, I was sitting in that exact row with another gentleman who was a student. And he began uplifting those on campus who, were, who would honorably fight for King Jesus. He began casting vision for the effect that those people would have on this entire state in the stead of their king. And that day, at that time, Chi Alpha was fighting for 40 to 60 students. Today, Chi Alpha is fighting for over 150 students, fighting for and loving and trying to be with them. Since then... Chi Alpha had raised up one native New Mexican missionary. As of today, Chi Alpha NMSU has raised up 12 native New Mexican missionaries, five of which are here, two of which are my wife and myself. And next year, another four to six NMSU graduates will be added to this. Many of our small group leader graduates have gone on to serve at several locations and serve several local churches in Phoenix, in Colorado Springs, in Albuquerque, Los Alamos, Santa Fe, and still Las Cruces. So this, thus fulfilling, our reality and our vision to reach the university, to reach more than the university. So what is happening at NMSU doesn't just sound nice in theory, it is supernatural in its reality. And with me today, like I said, are five of our interns who are currently working with us as missionaries with Chi Alpha, and they're working with us for a year and praying about what the Lord wants them to do for a lifetime. And we're all here this weekend because it's part of their internship that we go on what are called vision trips because we have a vision to have a Chi Alpha on every campus in New Mexico. So we're spending today and tomorrow with the local church in Silver City with you guys and then tomorrow visiting the campus of Western New Mexico University to get God's heart for the campus, his brokenness over its rebellion, and his voice as to, as to which, if any of us, he's calling to give our lives here. So how is all this possible? How in six years has all of this happened? Because for six years, students with 18 hours of classes a week, 36 hours of studying a week, 20 hours of part-time work a week, spend what little precious time they have left fighting to win students' hearts so Jesus can win their souls. In short, 19-year-old, newborn, six-month-old Christians are allowing God to do through them what he has done to them, which is the title of my message this morning. What God has done to you, or what God wants to do through you, what he has done to you, which is a great, this is a great way to do this, and a great way to evidence if you're actually allowing this to happen, so we'll see who's who at the end of this. This message is primarily for those who have been in the church for a long time, or who claim to love Jesus. If you're new here and don't know much about Christianity, then let this be a glimpse into the war room of Jesus' army, so that you can get an accurate idea of what it's like to truly follow Jesus. So what we do at Chi Alpha is normally we would have one of our small group leaders before the sermon come up and read our scripture, but as we have none of our students' small group leaders, I'm going to invite my good friend Justin to come up and read our scripture for the morning. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. <clears throat> Let me set this up. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> Thank you. So, <clears throat> the greatest need of this country is disciples of Jesus. 
Churches are either shrinking, dying, or filled with uncommitted, undisciplined, and potentially false converts. These symptoms come from the same root issue, disobedience to Christ's command to make disciples. Disciples cannot be mass-produced in a classroom. They cannot just be manufactured in a seminary. Jesus' method for sacrificing and investing his time into people is still the only way that disciples are handcrafted. The theme of this morning is this. King Jesus is looking for fearless messengers who will represent him faithfully in a rebellious and hostile world. Another way to say it simply is that God wants us to take responsibility for his biblical commands. And there are three smaller ideas we need to know in order to do so. They are the reality of responsibility, the effect of responsibility, and the cost of responsibility. And like I said, by the end, I hope we'll know if our hearts don't want to do this, this will reveal why. So let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, you are the only one that can speak to every heart. You're the only one that can open eyes to see your beauty. Holy Spirit, may the same truth that has been heard over and over for years or possibly for the first time today have your new light of beauty on it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So allow me to explain our first point by means of a story that a missionary once wrote. So he said this. He said, I grew up in a cast castle. This is a fictional story. I grew up in a castle. I was a prince, a child of the king. My first memories were the, blue, were the twinkling blue eyes of my father as he played with me in my nursery. I didn't know he was a king. I didn't know what a king was. All was right in my little world. He wrestled, he, we wrestled together. We played together. We giggled together. He loved me and I was safe. He was so tender and he was so approachable. As I grew, though, I noticed that not all treated my dad as I did. We had servants who stood straighter and talked less when he came into the room. I could tell they adored my dad as I did, but they were very respectful of him. They used this king word, always with anticipation and delight. I thought it funny and somewhat unnecessary. It all changed for me one day when I happened to walk by the throne room. I walked past the throne room, I could see in without being seen, and I could see my dad, and he didn't look pleased. As I watched, some rebels were brought into him. I don't think I have ever seen my dad so furious, nor the faces of his generals so solemn. My father, the king, stood up with a quiet voice, but with fire in his eyes, and said, you have plundered my kingdom. You have cut down my forests and polluted my rivers. You have mistreated my animals. You have lied. You have lived by greed and cruel self-interest. Worse than that, you have ravaged the crown jewel of my creation. You have aborted and abused my children. You have dishonored and enslaved my women. You have disrespected and perverted my men. You have misled the young, and you have abandoned the gray-haired. And worst of all, you have not represented my interests or my character. You have defamed and slandered my good name. You have rejected my rule. You have twisted my truth. You have insulted and offended me, and you have done so repeatedly with deliberate and evil intent. The hall, the throne room, fell silent at the angry passion of the king. And then the judgment fell. Take these rebels and hang them in the public square, and then send some of my best officers to their stronghold and offer them a way of repentance. And if not, hang them as well. I slipped away from the throne room and went to my chamber. My heart was hammering, my head was exploding, and I heard footsteps and turned. My dad walked in. 
He suddenly looked bigger and stronger. I ran to him. He embraced me, and I him. And in that moment, I was both a son and a subject. The one holding me was both my father and my king. Most of us in here have come to know God as Father. And this is beautifully fitting. In our brokenness, He cared for us. In our loneliness, He loved us. In our rebellion, He saved us. Yes, God is our Father, but the Father who loves us sits on a throne. Yes, we can come to the throne, but it is still a throne nonetheless. In any true kingdom, the children who once ran to sit on the king's lap must one day grow into men and women who bow before His throne. But this is where we fail. This is the wall we dare not climb. This is the land we fearfully do not enter. This is the reality we selfishly might choose to ignore. God is not just a loving father who embraces his children in their weakness. He is a powerful king who expects absolute obedience from them in our privilege. God expects absolute obedience. Jesus asks for absolute obedience. Jesus wants all of your money, not just 10%. Jesus wants all of your time, not just your holy days. Jesus wants your entire mind, even your subconscious dreams. Jesus wants all of your heart, not just your, or wants all of your heart, even your secret ambitions. Jesus wants all of your words, not just the four songs we sing on Sunday. Jesus wants all of your love. He will not tolerate other idols. Jesus wants all of your obedience, and not just when it's good for your reputation. Jesus is not impressed with our crying and our promises to be better. He wants the obedience of his soldiers. And when it comes along, whether it comes alongside tears or it comes alongside joy, Jesus is not looking for more empty promises to get better, to do more, or to finally recommit our lives to him. He is interested in a heart that is set fully on him. And the heart that is set on him wants to take responsibility for his commands. The true son or daughter of God always comes to the realization that he is not only a father, but a king. However, many refuse to obey like Jesus is king because it's not convenient for us. We refuse because our image to the world carries more weight than God's image in us. The effect of such a choice is more dangerous than most of us may ever realize. So allow me to explain with a story. When I first got involved in Chi Alpha, like I mentioned, I spent a lot of time with a guy named Alex Rodriguez and my small group leader, Zach Hansen. They converted me to things I never liked before. I started wearing Chaco sandals, which I don't know if it's much of a, is much of a thing in Silver City. I began to read old, old, dead, old dead guys who wrote Christian books. I began, and I also began to watch a show called The Office. And on this show, there was a receptionist named Pam, who immediately you find out has been engaged for over three years, and which I don't know how, who wants to engage, be engaged for that long anyway, but still seasons in, and there's no marriage, there's no wedding day, there's no ceremony for this engagement, there's no end to the engagement. But you know that they're engaged because this receptionist, Pam, had at one point made an impression on her fiance, causing him to propose to her. Her expectation was that since she made an impression on him, he would express that with a wedding day. But his lack of expression revealed a lack of original impression she actually had on him. Does that make sense? So we all know this. When a woman makes an impression on a man, the natural response is an expression or desire for marriage together. And this is the point. Every impression needs an expression. Every impression that something has on you must result in the expression of it to others. 
This is when an athlete dances in the end zone after a touchdown, or a man is willing to commit his life to a woman in front of many witnesses, or a student who throws their cap in the air after receiving a degree they have worked years for. As F.W. Bourne said, you cannot love anything without singing about it. It is the most natural thing to express what has been impressed upon us. Therefore, if Jesus has left an impression on our hearts, we will show it through an expression of our actions. If we have experienced the revolutionary love of God, it will overflow into loving others. If we have truly received powerful forgiveness of God, it will lead to constant forgiveness towards others. If we have known the beauty of God, we will want to reveal that beauty to everyone around us. So like our title, if what Jesus has done in us has been impressed on our hearts, it will be expressed by letting Jesus do it through us. In other words, we'll have real responsibility. But what happens when we don't take responsibility for what the Bible says? If we withhold the impression of Jesus on us by refusing to express him, we will diminish the impression altogether. E. Stanley Jones says it this way. It is the law of the mind that that which is not expressed dies. No virtue is safe that is not enthusiastic. No heart is pure that is not passionate. No Christianity is Christian that is not Christianizing. To be loved but not to love others is to re repress love altogether. To be forgiven by him but not forgive others is to abuse God's grace. To know him intimately but not to share him is actually to forget him. To not let Jesus do through us what he has done in us is to eventually lose what Jesus has done in us altogether. In short, an impression without an expression leads to regression. That's why every living body of water has water flowing into it and water flowing out of it. The Dead Sea is an example of a body of water with water flowing in and nothing coming out. That's what happens when we come to church to get an expression of God and do not express it to others. Everything that is intended for life going into you becomes death because it stays in you. What, what, what goes into you alive dies because it never leaves you. That's the church member hearing about Jesus but never talking about him. That's the Christian who has revelation of Jesus but doesn't want to be responsible to him with the two people every day. That's the, king, that's the king's son or daughter who refuses to ever be the king's soldier. That's the churchgoer who comes to church on Sunday and consumes friendship with Jesus but never goes outside to create friendship for Jesus. An impression of Jesus in you is not safe without an expression of Jesus from you. The question is not, is this me? The question is, what will it actually take to do this? What will it take to bow to Jesus and be his soldier and army? So I will explain our final point by telling a story from a, a man named William Booth. It was a vision he had. So he said this, he said, I saw, on a dark, I saw a dark and stormy ocean. Over it, the black clouds hung heavily. The lightning flashed and the loud thunder rolled. In that ocean, I saw myriads of poor human beings plunging and floating, shouting and shrieking, cursing, struggling, and drowning. And as they cursed and screamed, they rose and shrieked again. And then some sank to rise no more. And I saw out of this dark and angry ocean a mighty rock that rose with its summit towering above the clouds and overhanging the stormy sea. And all about the base of this great rock 
was a vast platform. And on this platform, I saw with delight a number of poor, struggling, drowning wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few others who were already safe on the platform were helping the creatures still in the angry waters to reach a place of safety. Here and there were some who were actually jumping in the water, regardless of the consequences on, their own, uh, on themselves to, because of their passion to rescue the perishing. And as I looked on, I saw that the occupants of the, of the platform were quite a mixed company. That is, they were divided into different classes, and they occupied themselves with different pleasures and employments. But only a very few of them seemed to make it their business to get people out of the sea. And then I saw something that seemed to me even more strange. Some people on the rock, which you could say is the church, some people on the rock wanted God to come and stay with them and spend his time with them and, and help them to be happier, to strengthen them. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had, they had concerning, concerning the word of God that he gave them. Some wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be quite sure they would never fall off into the ocean again. Numbers of others wanted him to make them feel quite certain they would make it to heaven. So these people would call out to heaven where they thought this great being was, and they would cry out, come to us, come and help us. And all the while, God was down among the poor, struggling, drowning creatures in the angry deep with his arms around them, trying to drag them out and looking out upon those on the rock, crying to them with his voice hoarse from calling and him saying, you come to me, you come and help me. The people on the rock thought following Jesus meant following him to safety and success. But the reality is that following Jesus often means following him into suffering. We are not meant to live on the rock, playing with our flowers, watching our football, building our mansions, and storing up our wealth. We were brought onto the rock of Jesus so that we may jump back into the dark ocean and bring out the other drowning and struggling souls. We were not meant to call out to God from the rock, asking him to come to us. We were meant to jump back out into the ocean and go to him. The rock only exists because Jesus first jumped off of it in order to come get us. Jesus died to make us his family and his army. We cannot say our personality hinders us from making friends. I have seen the most introverted woman bring four girls to a Thursday night service. We cannot say we do not have time. I've seen students with over 75 hours of school and work and everything else in between still bring three to five friends to service weekly. Jesus died the death on the cross. Each of us deserves to die so that we can live the life that only he was worthy and capable of living. The father who saved us must become the king who commands us. So as we close, if we won't fight to make Jesus known, then the Jesus you have isn't worth keeping because a Jesus not worth sharing is not worth keeping. The Jesus that children have been beheaded for around the world is worth keeping. The Jesus that men have been put into cages and drowned for, that Jesus is worth keeping. The Jesus that men and women have been burned to death for, that Jesus is worth keeping. The Jesus that I watch college students get rejected daily for, weep nightly for, because students love, they love these students and then they walk away and don't want to talk to them anymore. They've given them their hearts and they've been crushed. That Jesus is worth, is worth keeping. What Jesus has done in you, Jesus wants to do through you, 
but it does cost something. Because one day, a 31-year-old father of four children gave me his time, which, as a parent, you might know, is valuable. And because he gave me his time and his love and his heart, I love Jesus. I am here today. Because people on our campus are willing to take responsibility for God's command to make disciples. All six of us from Chi Alpha are here today. If we were people, if there were people who just sat in Chi Alpha and didn't want to go out and create new friendships, we wouldn't be here. Chi Alpha would be still be at 40 people. If this church is going to grow, it's going to be by the hands, not of pastor himself, but by everyone in this building. This is not confined to the pastor or the missionary. This is the responsibility of every Christian. This is not confined to preaching at a church. This happens in living rooms and at diners for lunch during the week. You have a pastor that not only preaches on Sundays, but walks around the Western New Mexico football games and talks to people. He doesn't just sit there and watch the game. He didn't sit with us. He wanted to go walk around and talk with people because he loves watching people love Jesus. So as I said at the beginning, King Jesus is looking for fearless messengers who will represent him faithfully in a rebellious and hostile world. So the question is, is that going to finally be us? Are we going to take real responsibility for what the Bible says and allow Jesus to do through us what he has done to us? And I think this would be good evidence of that. So let this, serve, let this serve as a self-evaluation of yourself and to know if whether the impression God had on you has died or if you're going to actually express it. So I'm going to pray and then invite Pastor back up. <clears throat> Jesus, Lord, please give us greater revelation of yourself so we can be more responsible to you. Would you show us your beauty? Would you show us the Jesus that people have died for, the, pe the Jesus that people have been rejected for, not the Jesus that is self-pleasing, not the Jesus that is self-satisfying, not the Jesus that is here for our self-pleasure, but, oh God, would you show us how beautiful you are and how worthy of our sacrifice, how worthy of our suffering, how worthy of our success, how worthy of our joy, and how worthy of our pain you are. We love you, God. Please, Jesus, make this church an army that fights for you in this beautiful city. Jesus, bring an army to this campus and bring an army to this church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.